Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about on Friday the 10th of June. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Emma Gillespie. And on the show today, the celebrity wedding crasher that nobody saw coming and our best and worst of the week, which include other people's holidays, really, really hating weddings to death, hormones and beauty injuries. But first, a lightning round of In Case You Missed It. I'm going to kick off. Rebel Wilson has revealed that she's dating a woman. The actress, who is 42, introduced her fans to her new girlfriend, Ramona Agruma, who is a fashion designer on Instagram, and she captioned it, I thought I was searching for a Disney prince, but maybe what I really needed all this time was a Disney princess. And then she had some rainbow emojis with hashtag love is love. And when people went looking for who this new girlfriend was, they discovered that she'd actually taken her as her date to the Oscars. And they'd post on the red carpet and nobody even noticed. Oh, my God, we're so oblivious. Yeah. In case you missed it, lettuce is now very expensive. I paid $11 for an iceberg lettuce yesterday, $11. I've said it before, you don't make friends with salad. I know, and I don't know why I did, except, of course, this is what my daughter has suddenly decided she wants to eat all the time. I want to wrap everything in iceberg lettuce. I'm like, yeah, because it's $11, there's status in it. So much so that KFC is not putting lettuce on its burgers anymore. It's using a mixture of cabbage and lettuce. Unless you don't like cabbage, you can ask for no greens at all. Lucky for me, I do, but an $11 lettuce is just a symptom of how crazy the world has become. How much more will inflation take from us? Exactly, inflation and the rain. In case you missed it, the Masked Singer cast has been announced, that show where they sing with those big funny costumes. It's coming back. A lot of people watch it, apparently. Jackie O is not on board this year. Ursula Carlson not on board this year. But we've got new faces, Abby Chatfield, Mel B, as in Spice Girls Mel B, Chrissy Swan. Husey is back, Dave Hughes. He's always done it. And the thing that I want to point out louders to today is the promo shot revealing the judges is the most oddly photoshopped thing I've ever seen. Mel B is front and centre. She looks like a mannequin or like a Madame Tussauds version of herself. They all do. It's They're, deeply disturbing. Obviously, and no one has a neck. And obviously none of them were in the same room for the photo. And it's well, Chrissy Swan has a very long neck. Like... <laughs> We'll pop it on the Outlouders Instagram page. The individual women appear so photoshopped as to look unrecognisable. It's a bit robotic, I think. Like, are we not past this? Come on. On the show last week, we were speaking about how Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's first cabinet is Australia's most diverse ever. Not only do women comprise 10 of 23 cabinet ministers, or about 43%, 
which is written in my script. I didn't do that maths in my head. Many have diverse race, ethnic and religious backgrounds, but is it as good as it looks? I have no clue. Neither does Holly and M, but someone who really does is Annabelle Crabb, who is, I don't even know how to introduce you. You're a national treasure. You're an iconic political commentator, an award-winning author, someone with great hair and distinctive glasses. <laughs> Teal glasses, podcaster. actually, to be specific. Annabelle Crabb, is it as good as it looks, this new cabinet? First of all, thank you for the uh, totally too generous introduction. I always like to be, you know, ushered on stage <laughs> by, you know, the creation of horrifically uh, raised expectations. And I'll <laughs> shatter. So thanks for that. Yeah, look, it's funny, isn't it? The Labor government committed to a kind of 50-50 cabinet model, 50-50 women. Didn't quite get there. It's like just under 50. God, it's hard work escorting those factional blokes to the perimeter. There was a huge round of kind of internal fisticuffs. Because like the thing is, I mean, keep in mind that the Labor Party it was more than a quarter of a century ago that they committed to a quota for uh, women in winnable seats. That was a massive fist fight that they had at the Labor conference many, many years ago, led by people like Joan Kerner and Julia Gillard and Penny Wong and lots of people that have subsequently joined the parliament. It took a long time to actually get there, though, get towards 50-50. And that is because it's okay to commit to the general, yes, we must have many women. Yes, indeed. And everybody Mm. totally signs up to that. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of, listen, mate, uh, that actually means you in this case will have to take your seat on the back bench, give way to a lady. Suddenly nobody wants that to be them. Mm. And the truth is that particularly in the ALP, there are all sorts of quota systems Mm. in force, right? Like including there must be X number of people on the front bench who are associated with the shop distributive and allied employees union, you know, and all that sort of stuff, right? So factions are a quota system already. And I mean, that's true of the Liberal Party as well, even though they're completely, you know, not keen on quotas. Realistically, they've got quotas for state representatives. You've got to have a couple of Taswegians and all that sort of thing. And they've also got, of course, a massive quota of having a certain number of national parties. Yes, yes. Those are quotas that they don't seem to mind, right? The quotas around the nationals, they're all, they're on board with that. Because they're not a merit either because, you know, as we Mm. all know, you know, there are some absolute clodhoppers who have been in the cabinet over the years because they are unionists from the right factional background or from the national party. Not that they're all clodhoppers. I'm Mm. just saying sometimes you get the odd not gifted person that makes their way into the cabinet. And into the role of Deputy Prime Minister in the case of (laughs) Holly's friend Barnaby Joyce. I'm not sure who you could be talking about there. But, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? And I think in politics everybody accepts those quotas because that's the way it's always been done. But the prospect of introducing a new one about women is often extremely controversial. When the Nationals have a female deputy and the Libs have a female deputy, and the ALP doesn't, what's going on with Tanya Plibersek? Because she was widely tipped to be education minister. She wasn't invited to the Perth launch of the party and she was sitting next to you on election night on the ABC and she looked miserable. Simon Birmingham, who was from the Liberal Party, looked more cheerful than Tanya on election night. And I don't want to get involved in gossip, but I just, heaven forbid, but I just want to know what's going on. Can I tack on to that question? Because I'm a bit confused as well, Annabelle. With Tanya becoming, 
environment minister and everyone saying that there may have been a demotion. Like to me, environment minister sounds like an incredibly enormous portfolio or incredibly important. So where's Tanya? What's going on? You know that about half the population, if asked who's the deputy leader of the Labor Party, will say Tanya Plibersek. Yeah, yeah. People she still think she's the deputy leader, but she hasn't been ever since Anthony Albanese became leader. I couldn't tell you who was. Richard Miles. Yes, exactly. So she was the deputy to Bill Shorten for six years. Now, that worked out pretty well factionally because, remember, you've always got to think about the factions getting equal representation. And because Anthony Albanese is a Sydney left-winger and Bill Shorten is a Melbourne right-winger, Bill Shorten plus Tanya Plibersek equals factional balance, mm. right? Uh-huh. Oh, we've got somebody from the right, we've got somebody from the left. Happy families. Marvellous. Proceed. However, when Anthony Albanese started being the leader, Anthony Albanese, Sydney left winger, Tanya Plibersek, Sydney left winger. Oh, they're on the same side. Yeah. So they can't both be in those jobs. But that doesn't sound like a merit-based system. Doesn't, doesn't. It doesn't sound like that at all. That is exactly right. It is not. And hardly anything about politics is really merit-based. That's the first thing to really understand. (laughs) I mean, it should be. And what about her portfolio? It seems like she's been sidelined. I mean, she's such a superstar. Why has she not got a more prominent role? But isn't this government going to be all about environment? So I thought it was very interesting during the campaign that she wasn't front and centre because I thought, well, look, if you're the Labor Party and you're confronted by or you're competing against a prime minister who has got this barn door-sized vulnerability on women in the sense that he doesn't seem to really quite get it or listen or change his behaviour, even though women have essentially just been screaming at him for about a year. If you had that situation as Anthony Albanese, wouldn't you just capitalise on that by engaging your most saleable and trustable, trusted woman and just basically have her on your arm for the whole campaign? He didn't do that, and I was surprised because I thought it would have been useful for him. But I think you've got to remember, too, that this is a competitive game. And if you look around the sea of leadership challenges to Anthony Albanese, Tanya Plibersek is very, very, very high on that list. You know, nobody has spelled this out to me on background or anything like that, but, I mean, it's not rocket science. Mm. But you don't necessarily want this close competitor going out and maybe kicking goals as education minister, status of women, you know, going. And remember, as education minister, you go around and visit everybody's electorates, you build nice things and you improve schools and you keep in touch with the backbench and whatever. gives you an opportunity to build your own constituency Uh, inside the caucus. So she's been put in the deep freeze. It's a really important portfolio that is, you know, environment and water is actually huge big business. So it's not like she's been put in charge of checking stop signs or something. I mean, it's a big, big job. But where does she do that job? Like water, mainly in kind of conservative electorates, right? Like, I mean, you're not going out and building, you know, lovely school buildings and cutting the ribbon on things in... That's disappointing. ...labour electorates. Well, it's pretty tough, I reckon. And she, I would say, Tanya Plibersek has been extremely gracious mm, about the has. whole thing. She is a hardworking person and a person of, I think, substantial integrity. Mm. And she's also very committed to the idea of Labor being government. And so 
I suspect what you'll see is her buckle down and be good at her job, just like all those other women that constantly overlooked. You were one of the first people on election night to make the point that this was a reaction from women, that women decided this election. Do you think in what's happened in a couple of weeks since that that message has been received? As we discussed before on the cosmetic front, it sort of seems like it. Dutton's making an effort. Everybody's making an effort. But what's your take on what will happen with that? The question for the opposition is really one of how to internalise that message. And there's an urgent agenda to try and recover ground in those seats where they lost it so widely precisely because of this issue. I mean, professional women are the fastest growing single demographic in Australia. Mm. And I think time after time after time, those women saw Scott Morrison do everything from, you know, sacking a successful woman for handing out watches to the value of $20,000 while doing nothing about male colleagues of his that had, you know, Mm. possibly been guilty of worse misjudgment or worse profligacy even. I think they saw that. I think they saw the blokiness of all the campaign stops and the obsession with, you know, infrastructure and dams and hard hats and stuff when, you know, women who were hit pretty hard over COVID didn't necessarily feel that this was a government that was trying to make their lives easier. Mm. And even to the end of the campaign, I mean, the last interview that Scott Morrison did with Lee Sales during the election campaign on 7.30, she asked him about, you know, these competent professional women running in these teal seats. Essentially what he said was that these affluent electorates were a bit insulated from the real economy so they could afford to, you know, dabble with hobby issues like women and (sighs) integrity and And the climate and the climate (laughs) right and can you imagine like if you were doing the dishes listening to that if you were one of those electorates you'd just be like okay then (laughs) now I'm going to call five of my friends yeah so I think there's obviously a really urgent pressure for the Liberal Party to try and recover those seats now the problem is for the Libs Because they've lost all these promising leadership contenders, most notably Josh Frydenberg, who I think would have had a very different approach to leadership, partly because he's got like a professional spouse who I suspect has familiarised him with all these issues. (laughs) Not that I'm running down Jenny Morrison, who's the loveliest woman alive. I think that the problem is that the Liberal Party looked around this sort of scorched earth after all these seats had been lost and go, oh, my God, like Peter Dutton is the only person left who, you know, is in a position to lead. And so that's what they did. He was uncontested, you know. And now they've got to kind of recraft this hard man into a proposition that can appeal to that constituency. So really, it's a tough reno. It really is. He's a real fixer-upper in that sense. Annabelle, I've got two pervy questions. They're not particularly clever, but I'd love your insight. First one I want to know, I'm hearing lots of people talk about massive pay rises for a lot of these front benches and maybe that's motivated Albo that he wanted to get his mates on the front bench to give him a bump in their salaries. What kind of money are we talking here? PM's on about 450, I think. And if you're a minister, it's definitely over 350. So you're talking about a lot of money. Mm. Not always as much money as you get paid if somebody puts you on the administrative appeals tribunal, but it's pretty, <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> and my follow up question for you, Annabelle Crabb the election night broadcast, you sat on the ABC panel. Of course, there are no commercial breaks on the ABC. How on earth did you do it? Did you wee? Did you snack? Are you okay? 
This is not my first rodeo. So I have, over the years, come up with techniques. The first ABC election night full broadcast I did was in 2010. And I just did not think it through. And so I consumed (laughs) fluids as per normal up until the broadcast started at 6. And then by midnight, when we were sort of wrapping up, I was just more busting than I had ever been in my entire life. Then at the end of the broadcast, Kerry says, well, that's all from us here at the ABC election Saturday tonight. Uh, Thanks to Anthony Green. Thanks to blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, only seconds remain now until I can be relieved. And then he said, and we're going to finish off the night with a call of the board, which will be brought to you by Anthony So then the camera just went to me and they all unhooked and went off and had a beer. And I was there reading out the results in 150 electorates one by one in more pain than I've ever been I'm actually weeing at the moment just thinking (laughs) about that. I I thought maybe you might have a catheter installed, you and Lee. On a night where there's so much happening, you just can't. There's just so much information rolling out and we've all got these, you know, laptops with Anthony's software on it that gives you so much sweet, sweet data that you don't even want to take a break because it's just like incredibly fascinating. So what I do, and I know sales does this too, is I just start tapering off fluids about the middle of the day. <laughs> and like I'm a bodybuilder three before, months before shredding oh, before I stop the, consuming liquids. And then just had a little bowl of snakes there. Sales brought me in a banana. Yeah, potassium. Just brings me a banana. Does it go fast? Yep. Look, the last two election nights before this one, they were both elections where hardly any seats changed hands because even though 2016 and 2019 were massively eventful, only one or two seats changed hands in each instance, right? Boring. Whereas this one was just like a roller coaster because, like, the primary vote, there were swings against the government, yes, but also against Labor. So for the first hour and a half, we're like, oh, my God, what is going on here? Are we going to end up with a sort of suite of United Australia Party MPs or something? It developed over the course of the night as you saw what happened with all those preferences. You know, that's why at the beginning of the night we're like, geez, this is like, it's clearly a massive clubbing for the coalition, but like it's not a kind of clear vote to Labor either. In the end, those preferences came back to Labor, but it's certainly a new era. And I mean, one of the reasons that you might have seen smoke coming out of Anthony Green's ears over the course of the evening, ordinarily, most seats are a Labor v Liberal race. Now, a dozen of them or more are now three-cornered things, and they're harder to predict on election night because when there's three-cornered race, A lot depends on who comes second and who comes third. And often, depending on who comes second and how the number three ranked person's preferences are distributed can make all the difference to whether person one wins or not, you know. So one of the issues that was freaking Anthony out on the night was that in Josh Frydenberg's seat, for instance, the difference between the second and third was like about 200 votes or something, so it could go either way. Yeah. yeah. It was fun watching you and Lee sort of saying, what do you think is going to happen? And he just kept being like, I'm not being drawn on that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we have also yeah. made you do a marathon on this show today, so we're going to let you go and we thank you so much, <laughs> Annabelle, no for thank joining for us me. today. Thanks, Annabelle. No worries.
Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. There's a story dominating my feed today with headlines like Britney Spears' ex-husband arrested after breaking into private wedding venue hours before nuptials. What nuptials? What ex-husband? And Britney Spears' safe after ex tries to foil her big day. What actually happened did turn out to be quite scary, so I think we need to say that up the top. Brit's ex-husband... Someone called Jason Alexander, we'll get to that, broke into the wedding venue. You're too young to know who he is. (laughs) Yes, you are. He broke in and live-streamed himself on Instagram, roaming around the property. Here's a bit of that. So here's the inside scoop, guys, at the bullshit wedding. Jason Alexander. Britney Spears invited me here. She's my first wife, my only wife. I'm her first husband. I'm here to crash the wedding. Now, I had imagined that when I saw this headline, it must have been about Kevin Federline because that's the only ex of Britney's apart from Justin Timberlake that I've ever heard of. So, friends, Holly and Mayor, I feel you'll be able to help me here. Who the F is Jason Alexander and what was he doing on Brit's special day? Well, I can say who he's not. It's a very bad day for the actor, Jason Alexander, who played George Costanza in Seinfeld. Oh, there's more than one. Because it's not him. It's really not him. It would be funny if it was him. But well, it would, none of it would be funny, really, because didn't he have a gun and he live streamed it and he crashed it? Like it didn't. Oh, it's seem... not funny at all. No. Like, so who Jason Alexander is is he was once Britney Spears' husband for fifty-five hours back in two thousand and four. So ex-husband is a little bit yeah, generous. Yeah, he's really stretching the truth there. So okay. This is exactly the kind of story we cover on Lowbrow, by the way. Em, you need to listen to Lowbrow, where it's like we're cross-generationally describing what mm. happened. So they got married in Las Vegas in 2004. The wedding picture is infamous because they're both just wearing slubby jeans and, you know, sloppy nice. joes and hats and like not wedding attire, right? And what happened is they got married. With hindsight, this was kind of the beginning of everything going very pear-shaped, let's Mm. say, for Britney. It was the beginning of her really rejecting the good girl, Mm, uh, shiny pop star narrative. And what happened is she had this bender in Vegas and he was one of her old friends from her hometown of Kentwood, Louisiana. He says she asked him, why don't we get married while we're here? And they were off their faces, he says. And they did. And then as soon as Mama Spears found out and the managers found out, that shit was over. So this guy really is a nobody. Yeah. And anyway, he has always said, because as soon as the wedding was annulled, he was really mad about it. And he says he felt handled and he has sold stories to the tabloids over the years forever. He clearly is a troubled dude. He's a massive Trump supporter. He was part of the insurrection. Like he is a guy who, and it's pretty clear that he has substance abuse issues. He's been arrested DUI. Like he's a serious troubled guy, right? And so he is the one who's crashed Britney's wedding. And as Mia said, very serious. But nobody knew Britney was getting married. 
This is the Double reveal whammy. of the wedding, which is it's kind of for celebrity gossip enthusiasts. It's a bit like Christmas, but it's also. But how not did that he great. know if no one knew? So he obviously knew, and the family obviously knew. He obviously got wind of it, and it is a proper wedding. If you look at the pat pictures, and we don't endorse pat pictures on Mamma Mia, so I'm not suggesting you do, which is why I can describe them to you. There is a big chapel set up with lots of, you know, flowers and a very privacy protecting cover. There is a fairy tale carriage and a horse pulling it along. That's exactly what I imagine Britney Spears to have. There's the whole thing. So Britney is getting married to her actual boyfriend, her longtime boyfriend and fiancé, who's called Sam Ascari, and he's a dancer. And they are getting married, and nobody knew that until this story landed about this. Brittany has not been talking about it on her socials, but you can expect pictures soon. How did this guy find out? And also, what about the rest of the Spears clan? Jamie Spears, Jamie Lynn. There, because she's famously estranged from her family and posts about that often. You need to get with your celebrity gossip and stuff. I know that she is estranged from (laughs) Jamie Lynn and Jamie Spears. Oh, yes. I know that. Absolutely. I'm just wondering. If Jason Alexander showed up, I'm wondering how he knew and then did they know and then, you know, you always hope that weddings will bring people together. It's time for best and worst. Speaking of weddings. Yes. My best and worst this week are weddings. We talked about Liza's wedding, me and hold. She's almost been married for a week now. And my best, I mean, I had lots of bests. The wedding celebrant was fabulous and just the wedding itself was fabulous. It was beautiful to meet Lizzie's new husband and, and a lot of her family and friends. But I loved having a dance on the dance floor. I'd forgotten. And the only two times I reckon I've danced in the last five years are at weddings from this year. And I just wish there were more opportunities to dance. Old people don't get to dance, Mia. That's the thing. You see, young people go out dancing, but most old people, and I know I'll be offending people who right now are shouting at their phone and going, you're not old, but like you stop going. I remember I danced at a 50th on election night. I remember back in the day when I used to do exercise classes again because it felt like a nightclub for old people. That is so (laughs) sad. Pumping music, flashing lights. I don't think (laughs) dancing is age discrimination. I think dancing is sobriety discriminatory. Drunk people dance. I was quite sober, but my question is, because I used to go out dancing a lot in clubs when I was younger. Do people still do that? Like, do you go to clubs and dance? (laughs) I don't know about the clubs. People do. Leah in the producer's booth is shaking her head. Yes, they do. I only dance at... tell them what they do, Holly. What would you know? You're a 50-year-old who lives in the country. (laughs) I only dance at festivals or music gigs or weddings. I haven't really been to dancey events for ages. My worst was also the dancing. You did this in the wrong order, by the way. No, I know, but there's a reason because my worst was also dancing related because I haven't been doing my pelvic floor exercises enough. Clearly. Oh, dear. Yes. (laughs) Because I was jumping when I was dancing. And things were not good. Oh, dear. And it's just like, oh, God. This is why old people don't dance. And before I went to the wedding, I burnt my forehead with a hair curling tong. And now I have a big, I think it's going to scar on my forehead. So they were my worst, but really they were eclipsed by all my best at the beautiful wedding. Um, My worst was, I hate to admit this, and Holly, you spoke about this on a subs ep recently. I was just a bit of a hormonal beast this week and I hate not ever feeling completely in control of myself. I hate to admit that I've ever had PMS. I never want anyone to not take me seriously Mm. or put my behaviour down to my hormones. 
But last weekend and the beginning of this week, I was a ferocious bitch. Wow. And then oh. I woke up on like yeah, Tuesday and I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I didn't really. I mostly I was a ferocious bitch to my boyfriend and I woke up on Tuesday and it was like the fog had cleared or something and yeah. I just had this you realisation and I felt so awful. I'd been so mean to him. Oh. But you know why it's awful and you were right, Hole, when we spoke about it is that if you're feeling angry at him about something in the future, mm. you don't want it to be discounted. Exactly. You reserve your right to be yes. an angry bitch in the future. Take me seriously at yeah. all times, but sometimes don't. Yeah. What about your best? My best of the week, it's professional this week. And I've been extremely busy doing lots of things. Because everyone's got COVID and you're hosting yeah. every podcast and on the network. hosting every show on the Even the parenting ones, probably. <laughs> but I had this little pinch me moment today where a few years ago, if you told me that in the same day I'd be sitting on a mic in a studio with Holly and Mia and also filling in on the Quickie, an amazing news podcast that I truly am a fan of, and also chatting to Annabelle frickin' Crab. <laughs> You're yeah. kidding me? And then oh. the Savo, I'm going to the ABC, I'm doing a little Triple J moment, and it's just like me mm. from a few years ago in the trenches not knowing if I was doing the right thing or if professionally it was all going to happen for me eventually. Yeah. I'm feeling super fulfilled. I love that. That. It is a dream to it, be in the studio with me and Holly. One thousand percent. It's a bit of a nightmare. Clearly, somebody who is not dreaming of it is our friend Jessie Stevens. Oh. Because my worst of the week is Jessie related. Now you know. I love her. I remember Jessie. I love her. Who? But her Instagram feed is ruining my life. Oh, and not sure. only Jessie Stevens' Instagram feed, although largely Jessie's, obviously. Jessie Stevens' Instagram feed, Claire Stevens' Instagram feed, Lee Campbell's Instagram feed, and everybody I know who is currently on holidays in Europe having a glorious time. Now, what it made me realise this week is that we haven't had to go through this for two years. Now, I did a lot of whinging about the closed borders in Australia during COVID. I cried about it. Mm. I wrung my hands. On this show. I raged. Many times. I raged against the machine. Against the hermit kingdom. That was closing our borders down. But there was one bloody ace thing about it, and that is that you didn't have to watch a whole load of your colleagues partying in Mykonos yeah. while you're filling in on the quickie at 5am <laughs> or, you it's know, true. wrangling some comp complicated disaster. and uh, Holly, like, she's living her dream. People have different <laughs> dreams. Some people dream of being on Mykonos. Others dream of being in was, the studio with you and I. It was my dream when my alarm went off at 3.30 and I saw on Jessie's Instagram story some halloumi and the ocean. I know. Last <laughs> night I had to squeeze one of my daughter's pimples in a freezing cold bathroom at 9pm before she got to bed. I was not in freaking Mykonos having marinated feta. That's my dream. My Thank kids won't let me squeeze their pimples anyway, anymore. Thank God Luca doesn't post very much. hypocritical because I am actually going overseas in a few months to see my family. But I want the closed borders back just for everybody else, please, so they can't leave. But my best is also wedding related. I am wrong, right? I don't like to admit I'm wrong very often. In fact, some people have been mean enough to call me Holly Wayne Never Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> rolls no off one. the cozy that. That's a ridiculous thing to rolls say. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Someone I used to work with used to call me 
Oh, because Wayne Wright. Really Sorry. And just got the joke. I've caught up. It's I've been awake joke. for 15 hours. But somebody called me that. And I was like, that's not true. And then I was like, it's a little bit true. Anyway, I am wrong about weddings. You know, Lies had to stage an intervention with me and Mia and Jesse about yes, weddings yeah. a while ago. You can go back and listen to that episode. I've also written a Mia Culpa in our newsletter this week because I have been known to roll my eyes a little bit, although I always love them when I'm there. What isn't absolutely glorious about celebrating family, love, connection, being together after all this time of not being together? I may have wept. I'm just going to say it. Free food. Free food, free drink. I got to wear a nice dress. I got to hang out with people I like. I got to watch somebody I love marrying somebody she loves. It was absolutely glorious. Mia culpa. I'm sorry, brides. You were right. I will never say that again. Oh, no, wait. If you want to see pictures of Jesse's holiday, and if you want a link to Holly's story, and recommendations and all these other things, sign up for the free Out Louders Only newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Yep, Out Louders Eyes Only. Mia, before we go, you've got a quick recommendation. It's about something you're wearing. I do. It's this shirt I'm wearing that I've been eyeing off on Instagram for a while. It's by an Australian lady startup called Hut. Great shirt. It is bright green, like almost fluoro green, but it also looks like a flannel shirt. It's linen and they make them in all these different colours and it is so soft. Sometimes linen can be a little bit scratchy, but this feels like... I don't know. Flannel. It feels like flannel, it but, yeah, but even softer. softer. La- yeah, lovely. Yeah. But did and you iron the, the shit out of it? Because it's very uncrimpled. I don't own an iron. That's why it's not linen in that way. Oh, no, it's viscose. <laughs> okay. So we start that again. <laughs> I'm not good at fabrics. It's very soft and lovely. I got it from a lady startup called Sissy Mount Eliza, and the brand is... Hut. That is all we have time for on Mum Mirror Out Loud. This week, we will not be in your ears on Monday Long because weekend, it's a public baby. holiday. Now, remember, when you become a Mamma Mia subscriber, you get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And, of course, you'll be supporting us, Australia's only women's media company and our team of female journalists and producers. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. Thank you for listening to us. The episode was produced by Emma Gillespie, the busiest woman alive, and Leah Porges, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.